We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2022, the American Express. DraftKings picks and preview. Remember to smash the like button to the episode. Sub to Mayo Media Network in the comment section. Please give me her two plays in the 6K region, because the 6K region may be very important in a week like this, especially with the two names at the very top of the board. Also, subscribe to the newsletter. There's tons of research in there, completely free. It's down in the description, as is the Pat Mayo Experience DraftKings Listeners League link. It's over half full already, 2,500 spots, five grand to first place, three max entry, no rake. You should really get on top of that. The quicker we fill it, the bigger it's going to be moving forward. And, well, I guess I can talk talk through it with my guest, Ryan Noonan, right now from 4 for 4, the betting content manager, that this still feels like the preseason for golf in a weird way. Like, And Farmers next week feels like the season has actually started. Yeah, it's a, such a tough start, right? Because we get we have no like form to measure. Uh, in this place, of all places, is where course history – is just really hard because we have three courses we you know it's just such a mess so of all places we were joking earlier like it's it's in Coachella I'd rather be at Coachella uh blown out of my mind than try to figure out what's going to happen at this event it's just so hard to really point your thumb when you look at the guys who have won here so far down the board really outside of that ROM one a couple years ago so this will be fun yeah not not only were they like deep odds type guys they're all completely different styles of players Totally. Yeah. It's really hard. It's not like a style guy. It's not like a, a bombers. It's not, you know, hot putter, right. You're going to have to get into the twenties here for sure. Especially now that La Quinta is back in the mix. So that was a couple of years ago, by far the easiest track on the tour. So yeah, it, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that would make it even easier, right. If we kind of had good pigeonhole, I thought you kind of found something in your research show the other day, looking at the Valero, because I think there might be some like pole overseeding stuff there. Cause when you look at the leaderboards, there are some parallels and I guess we'll get into that to some of the other Pete die tracks. And that's really all we can do here. Right. Cause we get ideally two stadium rounds. That's a Pete die track. There are definitely some corollary courses that work there. So uh, those will kind of be some of the ways we can try to pinpoint some of our guys this week. Yeah. I don't know what it is with Valero. It could just be as simple as these two, like they're both on like the bottom rung in terms of tournaments, in terms of field strength, every single season that just the same guys play there. So you're, you're, mi- your mid range guy generally like your Chris Kirk's of the world or Cameron Tringali's of the world. You know, they're going to look pretty good in fields like the Valero and the American express versus a regular tournament. That that's all it could be. <laughs> yeah. Because the other, the rest of the dudes that matter don't show up to those events and yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's noise, but that's, you know, this week we have, we're like just grasping at straws. So when I'm looking at some of those things, when I pop open the last few Valero leaderboards, I'm like, well, oh, maybe there's something here. And uh, there's some dudes that maybe make sense at the P die tracks too. And, you know, maybe there's enough there. There's some there, there. We're going to find out. 
Yeah, well, I mean, even if there's nothing there, we're probably going to go with it anyway because this is <laughs> yeah. one of the. I mean, every week in golf is completely random. This week, you might as well just like just start picking names from a hat at the bottom. Maybe there's some sort of signal to point you to someone, but as we mentioned, like there's no specific prototype of player that you can really point to be like oh no you want this style of guy at least last week like if you did the research not that i had any hideki or henley because i'm an idiot and they were <laughs> like two of my fades but all the numbers pointed to those guys having really good weeks i'm just a moron <laughs> well i mean that's what i like about this my you know first opportunity here on the pat mayo experience and i get one of the most volatile events so if i happen to do well that's going to work out really well and if i don't pat then i could just be like well yeah you brought me on for like the worst events so that's on you let's do it again yeah so so what you're saying is that you're guaranteed a second spot now absolutely yeah, makes sense to me. <laughs> so let's talk about the courses. You kind of hit on it. It's a three-course rotation. So everyone in the field is going to get 54 holes of play. Each of them play with their pro-am partner each of the first three days at La Quinta, Nicholas course, and the stadium course, which is the host course. And there's a cut after three rounds, and the top 65 and ties move on to the final round, which is all at the stadium course. Now, if you're looking back through history and the course history for shot link data well you're only gonna find stadium course type numbers and that's the pete die track the other two are not one's obviously the nicholas course shockingly enough designed by jack nicholas i think i mean I, i'm just making that assumption i i don't want to <laughs> completely be maybe it's designed by his son or something like that i'm guessing it's not it's a jack nicholas type venue and then look into as you mentioned the last time we saw it it was the easiest course on the pga tour last year because of covid restrictions they did not have the pro tournaments they cut la quinta from the mix and i actually thought the tournament was entirely more watchable it was great because you got three rounds at the stadium course and all of a sudden pete die specialist see woo pop straight to the top of the list now you take away one of those runs i don't think that he made a bogey at the stadium course last year which is pretty insane because there's a lot of weird hazards very easy course but you can find trouble where at the other two it's really difficult to find trouble so that's why i wanted to throw out to you is that very few books will be offering first round leader bets this week. And I always like to dabble and lose all my money on first round leader bets. But these are the type of events. Like I don't play first round showdown very often, but at the multi course events, I always do. And when I was going through the research, obviously you can probably win showdown stacking guys at any course you want, because the potential to go really low is obviously there for the mall. The stadium course is the most difficult, but it's not like it's super difficult. Like can't shot a 61 there to close it out right. last year with the more difficult pins like the pins last year were even more difficult because there was no amateur partners and these guys were still able to obliterate it the only key that i would have is that la quinta is that all four of the par fives are reachable in two and you can make eagles and like that little edge is like good enough for me to completely stack la quinta and then some people will say ryan that everyone knows that but here's the thing Everyone doesn't know that because these are the only times I'm ever successful playing round one showdown is stacking the easy course and people just don't do it. People think that in real all DFS, right? It's like the cash games are solved and then you have those weeks where it seems so obvious and then you turn things over when the first game start in, in football in particular and you're like, well, how did they come to that or how did you not play this guy? So yeah, I mean, to your point, you can get away with doing it at all three courses, but I do think that it is smart to at least go overweight on the La Quinta stacks and showdown because you want to prove that you, your opponents know what they're doing. So uh, yeah, it, I think waves in general here, if you're, you know, mass entering tournaments, even into say 12, 10 lineups, uh, I think just waves here in case of certain course weather waves, we all know obviously AM, PM, but course waves here, I think are going to be really advantageous too. Again, we're trying to look for any edge we can when we're bringing in extra variables on top of the most, you know, high variant sports that there possibly is. We're adding all these other layers here with the three course rotation. So kind of finding ways where if something happens to work out, you are dialed in and you're going to be able to take advantage of it. So yeah, AM, PM, course waves, and then make improvement on the La Quinta side. So do you think that you will be constructing lineups like, hey, here's my La Quinta team. Here's my Nicholas team. Here is my stadium course team of guys starting in round one for your for the entire tournament, not just showdown, because I had I've had more success with that strategy at Pebble Beach than I have here. Yeah. Here, I find it really doesn't make that big of a difference, although I could just be playing the wrong guys. Who knows? At Pebble, at least if you get bad weather at Pebble Beach, Pebble Beach becomes super difficult that day and if you can just avoid that it's fantastic because like spyglass would be protected by the trees it doesn't have the same yep. sort of wind impact it's a bit more difficult like pebble beach is a super easy course unless the weather comes up then it's really hard whereas the other two aren't in that tournament where at this one the same weather is basically going to impact everything and none of them are really going to play that difficult 
I find it always advantageous to play the best guys. <laughs> and, you know, I'm actually really good at that come Sunday nights where I'm like, oh yeah, that made a ton of sense. Like your point, like Hideki, why didn't I have any Hideki? Like he was, he was just a like, glaring right by. Um, yeah. You know what? I don't play like, um, you know, mass multi entry. I'll do six lineups here and I will do exactly that. I'll do three lineups, my main three, and then I'll do one for each just because I feel good about it. And I feel like I did what I thought was the right process. Now, again, come Sunday night, come Monday morning, did I pick the right guys? We'll find out. But I think that is definitely a way to kind of spread your pool, depending on if you are, you know, 150 plus, uh, if you are maybe a three entry person, I don't think I'd mess around with it if I was only doing three, but I feel like I want to at least check that box and feel like I'm uh, attacking that in case there is an advantage to have in, in all the courses. I am this year. I have changed up my strategy a little bit. I'm playing like 30 lineups a week in mass multi-entry and trying to, and so the allocation for me will probably be like five, five and five, and then 15 of whatever and see how that ends yep. up working out. I, I tinkered around a little bit with the 150 max last year in the 50 cent tournament. It's like, I don't want to test out my strategy in the $15 where it's costing me thousands and thousands per week. <laughs> I'd rather test it out in the 50 cents to see if I have anything here. And like the first week I did it, I think I came like in second, third and fifth. I was like, Oh, I'm great at this. And I lost like all my money the next week, trying the exact same thing. So uh, I'm going to stick with much rather lose thousands of dollars betting first round leaders. Right. Oh, hundred, hundred percent. Those are always, yeah. like, you can probably find like individual course first round leaders here. Just those don't really appeal to me all that much. Yeah, it's not a market that I dabble in. Uh, my guy, Ron at PGA Splits 101 is working on a first round leader model. Uh, you know, there could be arguments that it's pretty noisy, but uh, we're testing it out a little bit before we, you know, start to turn that loose. But uh, yeah, I, it's not a market that I like to get in. I want to have as many options as I can. That's why, I, you know, I like bigger slates. I like, you know, full field events more so than showdown even. But again, this is a good showdown week for the exact reasons you talked about earlier. Well, I do have a first round leader model. I've been working on it for like three or four years now, and I always just forget to consult it every time <laughs> uh, that I try to go make my first round leader bets. I'm like, oh, no, that guy sounds like he'll make birdies. I'll take him. He's 200 to one. If people are curious this week, uh, John Rom is number one in the first round leader model. Basically, basically everything that I've run so far this week, John Rahm is just inching near the top. Yeah, the best plays, uh, top 10 in the first round leader model, which just really focuses. There's no putting in it, but it just focuses on birdie opportunities, eagle opportunities, that kind of thing. It's Rom, Gooch, Henley, Hoagie, Patrick Cantley, Ramey, List, Varner, Duffner, and Corey Connors. Those would be the top 10. I have run far too many numbers this week. This is why modeling is probably pretty stupid because it keeps telling me to play Chez Reeve and I don't feel like I want to do that. Well, again, this week is one of those weeks where, you know, I don't know that I would cross many names off for a lot of reasons. I mean, you could play Chez Reeve. He typically, uh, we, what do we have? A uh, An early January model here. What do I have? Uh, strokes gained January over the last five years. And uh Chesri V is like 10th. So yeah, well, well, he won in Phoenix. Of course he is. Like if you, if yeah, you, if you, pop, if you pop one, I mean, what are we looking at the past five years for? Like that would tell me like Seamus power probably sucks. Although I know that Seamus power is like good now and he was not good five years ago. Like, I bet it's you, Jay, you I, I, uh, I, I bet you Jason day is awesome in that model, but here's he, a fun fact. Jason, Jason day, day reeks. Jason day is third in the model. Yeah. So yeah, he's uh, and shocker. Uh, Chuck three sticks is great in the model too. Might have something to do with how he just owns the Sony open. So yeah, I mean, some of these things, when you try to get super granular to get some sort of, you know, predictability from it. Yeah. They become super noisy. They become stacked with one event. Uh, a win can highlight things. Yeah. So uh, this is why we do this because we, we like pain and we like misery and we pick the, you know, most, Difficult sport to try to handicap. Well, especially when you look at Day, I think in that last five-year time range, yeah, he won Pebble and he won at Farmers, so that would really boost yeah. him up. And he, he plays Pebble yeah. well every single year. There was There is something, I don't know if there is something to it, but just it's really funny is that Jason Day is one of the slower players on the PGA Tour. He is playing this week, by the way, in a tournament he never plays in. But Pro-Ams are really good for him because they're like seven-hour rounds anyway, and that's like his <laughs> preferred pace of play. <laughs> He's been so bad of late. It is, it's remarkable. Uh, you look at some of the, just the projections and how he's just dove off. It's, it's, it's painful to see. And I know, again, if you, if he's popping in your models this week, like we're talking about right now, you're too far out. You need to kind of hone in and, and look, you know, a little bit more recent because uh, he has been really rough. Yeah. You might want to click off the January model and click on the play the good plays type of model. Yeah. And he probably Different won't model. appear in that one. 
Uh, maybe, hey, listen, not people will talk themselves. I think that, put it this way, if I was to have any investment in Jason Day this week, I'd probably just bet him at like 140 to 1 or something stupid like that. So he can't hurt my DraftKings line. Because people will tell you this week, because everyone is guaranteed 54 rounds. And I'm sure I've made this case in the past. And the more I've seen it play out over the course of like the past eight years on DraftKings or six years or whatever it's been, is that you want all your guys to make the cut. Put it that way, especially at three easy courses. <laughs> Yeah, you need all those birdies here. You need to get a bunch of guys in the high teens. You know, you, you don't necessarily need the winner at a place like this where I think a lot of guys can go low, but you sure as hell better have six of six through. And uh, yeah, I'll let uh, Jason Day uh, be someone else's, you know, uh, bell of the ball this week. I think Benny Market would be the way to go if you, for some reason, had an inkling that there was a glimmer of hope here, but definitely not in the DraftKings lineup. The bigger thing, too, is like you can get away with not having the winner here and potentially winning a GPP, but you would need Adam Long to win again. Like you need the guy sure. that no one has to win, and then it's fine with the rest of your lineup. Because that happened to me the Ted Potter year at Pebble Beach. Like people won GPPs without having Ted Potter because legit no one had Ted Potter. No one had Ted Potter. Yeah. And all the, and all the good guys. Was... And I think all the guys came, like the good guys tied for second that year. It was like Phil, DJ day and there was like someone else they all tied for a second like you had those guys that you were fine anyway let's talk about the picks for this week ten thousand dollar range on draftings there's four guys ramen can't lay way above the rest and you got scheffler and tony finau tony finau very anderkirst coming into the week by the way he's tim's one and done pick uh-oh i looked at it ramen can't lay how viable is it do you think just to start your lineups with those two guys because it leaves you with seven thousand dollars per player afterwards man uh we were talking again before, like, I think under seven is probably a key spot this week, but, and again, talking about all the variables at this event and all the dudes that have won here before, when you look at the winner's circle outside of the ROM win, it's just, you know, Andy Landy's of the world. And it's just not a great, a great uh, spot for them. So yeah, you would have to hit on some of those guys. They're definitely, they need to win. They definitely probably both need to top five and they are obviously you know, the cream of the crop here. We mentioned earlier, Cantley ran hot here on the stadium last season with a 61. And we saw towards the tail on the last year when that putter gets hot, he is unbelievable. You know, he is just um, an absolute beast. The ROM question is one we're going to have to answer basically every week, especially in spots like this, where he is so far above the rest of the field. Do we just swallow it from an ownership standpoint uh, and go elsewhere and try to diversify, you know, get cute with some of the other names, cross off the next five, six guys from a projected ownership standpoint, jam in Rom and go from there. I don't know that I'm going to jam in Rom and Cantley in the way that I build, because I don't build that many lineups, but I imagine if you're building 30, you try to do it at least once or twice. Uh, I'd rather get kind of into the middle. I think there's a bunch of guys in the seven Ks. So again, I'm crossing some of those guys off because I really need to, you know, build the majority of my guys under that seven threshold moving forward. Well, if you went Ramen Cantley, let's say you went Ramen Cantley to start your lineup. You have 69.50 left for everyone else. And then you have a Pat Mayo favorite in your lineup. You play Trey Mullenix at 6,300 bucks. <laughs> now you have 72. And like you can start piecing it together a little bit if you take another high sixes guy that you can access the mid sevens if you really wanted to. But like Molinari, 7,000 bucks. Streelman, 7,400. Like there's enough at least name recognition guys that you could piece together that lineup. I think in a week like this with, with, as you kind of pointed out, how random this tournament can be from the bottom end where we've seen a lot of these long shot guys end up competing that I don't think it's like, I could see myself building 30 Rom Cantley lineups. Why not? Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess it kind of depends on how you feel about, you know, some of the guys in the nines in high eight range, uh, you know, the high eight range is basically uh, like a, you know, best of 2017 range so there are some guys that are that are a little bit dicey in that range so i guess that kind of depends like i think the nines are appealing but yeah i mean like you said they are by far the best two players here we haven't seen you know the next two with, with scotty and finau finau's andrew kirst um and then you know classic tony last week you know 65 out of contention to get himself a t4 we haven't seen scotty this season though he is a big time birdie maker did not do well last year at the stadium course but again this is this is kind of a place that we we want Scotty in spots where we're going to get into the 20s. So I get it. Um, I get why you would try to jam it in to make it work. Uh, I hadn't thought of it, but now I'm going to have to try to play around with it to see if I can get some uh, things that don't make me absolutely hold my nose. Yeah, if you decide to fade Rom and Cantlay, then you really can have any lineup you want because I'm thinking 
right now. I'm looking at the early projected ownership from Fantasy National, and you can get access to that, stats, tools, everything, fantasynational.com slash mayo. 20% off, by the way. But like they could pre both of them could be around like 25, 30%, couldn't they? They probably should. Like we said, in the spot where uh, the rest of it is kind of dicey, we want to uh, try to get the winner knowing that these are spots where, again, 61 for Cantley on Sunday last year. And the putters continue to be hot. He played really well in Hawaii. So, yeah, I mean, the more you're talking about it, the more you are, are making a lot of sense. Again, now you're eating at all that ownership. And this is a spot more than anyone that I want to be cognizant of ownership. And I'm willing to eat it at the top of the board, especially with at least one of them. I'm going to eat it with two. Then again, I'm going to have to really diversify and take some guys that no one's on in the low to mid seven range and some of those sixers, because uh, again, you're just, you're naturally buying into probably 60% cumulative ownership with your top two guys. That's pretty hard to stomach on a, on a spot that's so volatile like this. It is, but with the way that you would have to construct the rest of your team, you're not getting any more double-digit ownership guys into your lineup unless you take like, <laughs> the, sure. the, the chalk $6,000 guy, which I don't even know who that would be. As of right now, I'm not seeing anyone really pop up. Swafford at 67 seems to be the most popular. Svensson at $7,000 are the two that are kind yeah. of popping up right now. Dylon, woo! Could be all right. Sixty nine hundred bucks. Had a nice week at Sony, but like, if, as long as you just avoid those guys, no one's going to have the same team as you. Yeah, and that's what it's got to be. You have to make sure you have pretty good uh, dial in on that ownership. Uh, you know, Brandon Hagee's down at sixty two hundred. Uh, you know, if they become popular, because those guys might naturally start to in a projected ownership. You know, whoever you're using for your projected ownership, it might not be really popular. Um, you might not see some of these guys populating at high numbers, but because people might try to jam in these two at the top, we might be off on some of those projected ownerships just because your natural bills are going to force you down the board a little bit more. And those guys start to get steamed a little bit more than they're, they're projected to. I would guess people don't have the guts to go with both of them. They don't like how the rest of their line of the final four spots in their roster. They're just not going to like that because it's so much easier to go Rom answer or can't lay answer and then fill your team out with that like middle tier of Glover and the Gim Reaper, Emiliano Grio, Troy Merritt, Patton Kazire, like that type of guy versus Cantley and Rom and Kurt Kitayama, Austin Cook, <laughs> Austin Smother Man. Like, no one wants that. <laughs> no one wants that. Uh, but this is one of those weeks where I do think, especially in GVPs, it is going to be a week where if you like it, uh, you probably did something wrong because <laughs> you don't want to flip over ownership that you're uh, just right into the rest of the fields. Cause again, we're so high variant. Again, we talk about this all the time in golf. We want to be cognizant of all these things in GBPs, but like this place, just look at what happens here. It is the most wild place of winners. Again, we're bringing in the amateurs, slow rounds. We're bringing three courses. You just don't want to be building into ownership. But again, you're making a case for the two guys that are by far the class of the field here, considering that the other guys that are just a little bit below them are either a little bit overpriced compared to what we see them at typically, or maybe you have some question marks. We haven't seen them this year yet. Some of those things. So yeah, I mean, Rom is just, I feel like you just eat the chalk with Rom no matter what, because he can really be in an off week and, and perform really well here and you're okay. Uh, Cause he's still going to score. $9,000 range. Uh, it kicks off right after Finau with Sungjae at 9-9 coming off a very Andercursed week for him. The Gooch, <laughs> Power, Connors, Wolf, Answer, Zalatoris, and Henley. Of the two guys, the two guys above $9,000, I think that might come in with the lowest ownership, weirdly, are Finau and Zalatoris. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen Willie Z since November. Um, you know, he was spraying it off the tee last time we saw him. Is he a guy that we want when we're like going into the mid twenties, uh, yeah, I, 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 th- I think that we do. You think so? Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's the thing is, I mean, I, I think that he is, I, we all think the pedigree is there for him to be, you know, in this upper tier class. We just haven't seen him in those spots. He's performed so far fairly well on some difficult tracks, you know, perform well in majors. Uh, so can the putter get hot? I mean, that's really what we need from anyone this week. That's a question that, uh, if we can answer, we would be doing something probably differently for a living. But uh, yeah, I mean, again, no one's going to own him. So I think you're t- totally right. We haven't seen him and it wasn't great towards the tail end of the last year. Not a great swing season or anything like that. So yeah, uh, no one's going to be on Willie Z. 
I thought it was interesting that more people would be on Wolf than Zalatoris, considering, well, especially with Finau, right now projected to come in way below anyone. If you told someone a year ago that Finau and Zalatoris would be the two least popular of this bunch, you'd be like, no, no, they're the most popular of this bunch. Have, yeah. they, have they passed that point now where everyone used them, they were so popular for so long that people just want to move on and try, try something new? Well, you know, we all wanted to catch the Tony win, and once we finally crossed it off the list a little bit, you know, we feel good about that one, chasing that dragon for, you know, a solid four years. <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't know. I think Tony will carry a little bit of ownership. I guess it depends on, I mean, the same as power thing is wild. Like, what do we do with the power gooch M market? I think that impacts Finau a little bit. So maybe it is a spot where people are looking to get a little bit of savings. Um, power has been just really good. I can't believe we're paying 9,500 for him at this point, but at the end of the day, like I have to divorce myself from, you know, seven K Seamus power because he's been really good for like multiple stretches. He did this like midsummer last year and then kind of got back to normal and was playing. Okay. And now he's on like another heater and he's always been a birdie maker. He just could never really piece the entire thing together, but like he's good for mod of the rough with birdies. He's top six in birdie weight on the season last year. Uh, you know, just kind of an unreal run of, of top 20. So again, in a spot here where we need birdies, we know we can go low. The form's great. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in $9,500 Seamus Power. And I'm interested in Wolf too. Like I want to be in on this kid coming back. California kid, you know, familiar with the area. It's not like he grew up like 200 miles away. So it's not like we're playing a home game or anything <laughs> like that. I love how we'll probably hear that on the broadcast at some point. Um, on the stadium course, because of course we don't have cameras at the other two, because why would we? This is uh, it's only a billion dollar industry. We can't possibly have cameras uh, to watch Aunt Viv and uh, Carlton Banks play golf. But uh, yeah, I mean, Sneaky Birdie Maker obviously had a nice swing season. Uh, I just want to be buying on Wolf and uh, 9,300 might be a little rich, especially if it's into ownership as we kind of get closer to tea time. But I'm interested in Wolf big time. So the highest owned of this bunch, it looks like Gooch and Power are going to lead the way along with Answer. My two favorites from the nines are Im and Answer, actually. I think it's a nice buy spot on Sung Jay. I'm still flirting with the idea of betting him outright this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Currently, he is 18 to 1, although I've seen that number drift down to 25 to 1 in some other spots. 25, I like a whole lot more than 18, yeah. obviously, but I think that's a fair price for him. And once you drop him back into the zone where he's less like, where he's closer to Gooch and Power than he is than Cantley and Rum, where we've seen him kind of linger for the past year and a half or so. I think uh, I thought that last week would be a good course for him, but obviously he was Anderker, so I had to completely jump off the M train. I think a lot of people got burned. Sometimes we see that that festers the following week that no one wants to go to him, but I just think that so many people want to use Cantley and Rom. And if they don't use them together, that M is probably still a bit too expensive for a lot of people that they would try to get the savings with Gooch or Power or especially Abraham Answer here. It's M and Answer for me. Those are the two that I really like. Although I think you can make a really compelling case for any of these guys in the nines. Would you have the guts to fade the 10K range and just basically you know make a core four of guys in the nines and construct all your lineups around those guys? I think I'll try it at least once. What are your what are your thoughts around answers ownership? Because we kind of have the like, interesting, you know, play both Sony or both Hawaii events didn't play particularly well, but his course history here is incredible. Back to back, you know, T fives, obviously accurate off the tee. He can go low. Uh, do you think that he carries any ownership? Yeah, I do. I think that there's yeah. by the end of the week, he could be the highest owned of these nine K guys. I do think that Goocher power power coming off the really good week, I think is going to propel him up a little bit. Although it seems to be, I don't want to say a discount price on answer, but I don't know. Like is anyone going to use Henley? <laughs> what do we do with Russell Henley? He's been hitting bombs, Pat. Have you seen this? No, he, he is. He was 127th on tour last season in driving distance he is seventh so far and it's up like that, over 20 that's, yards that's not, i know it's super noisy yeah it's noisy it's a small sample but like it's weird though like he's it's a pretty substantial jump so i don't know do you think it's course specific but it's this is a dude that's like in the low 290s and now he's hitting like 317 off the tee for a couple events in a row i, I don't know it, it could be noisy i'm definitely it's definitely something i'm gonna watch because it it caught me off guard when i was looking at it today i'm like what the hell's going on with russell henley i, I don't know Ah, it's difficult to say. Is Sony at elevation at all? I don't think uh, it's it a good question. I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Because I'm just looking at the the quote unquote, uh, like where they be drawing the metrics from 
so far uh this season to kind of prove that out like you had he played two events in vegas both at elevation sony generally typically has a shorter driving distance but i think it, it would allow for him to go balls out if he wanted to because he doesn't quite have all that uh in terms of yeah. distance he played mayakoba houston's a really long course that's very driver friendly like the summit course when they played like you can spray it wherever you want at that course hit it as far as you can uh, that's why you saw all the bombers do really well oh maybe, maybe you're right maybe like the club head speed is up i don't know i haven't really dug into it all that much but i think you could kind of reverse engineer where some of this distance is coming from but if he has made a leap in that area it was it was less about that like i think statistically he rates out really well he has basically never played well at this tournament in his career coming off what's pretty devastating in terms of losses i i mean jeff and i called it a choke job on monday's show and then a lot of people were like well how could it be a choke job like you now he shot what did he shoot like 65 or 64 on sunday it's like yeah but he also gagged a five-stroke lead on the back nine at the same time. Like, he played really well on the front, and he played about as bad as you could play at YY on the back. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it won't have uh, – he won't be owned at all this week. I think people will at least think that he's a little bit uh, mentally off after last week. That's, that is tough. Like, Decky just played great. I mean, just hit an incredible shot in the playoff. Like, what are you going to do? He played really well. But, again, like, this happened last year with Henley where he was just, a, you know – cinch to win and he you know kicked the can down the road on sunday so yeah there's something to it there i don't think he'll be owned at all because i think there's some of those guys just a little bit above him um you know like you said answer i think it's just so much easier to spend the 200 to get to answer knowing that he fits his course better the history here is is just phenomenal and uh you're not you're not really giving up too much and then a couple guys just below him i think are going to be uh, carrying some ownership too see i don't think so and that and like because we didn't even discuss Corey connors i think that connors is going to carry ownership wolf is going to carry yep. ownership like all these 9k guys i don't think it's going to be like flat there's going to be peaks and valleys in terms of how much interest people have but they'll all basically be in the double digits i would think uh maybe zalatoris is like eight percent and henley is like i think sure. enough people will still use henley based on st- like if you run any sort of statistical model he'll be top five and he'll be a value uh like points per dollar based on any sort of optimizer that you look at just based on the numbers that he's put up and you can't really disagree with that but you can have your hunch like yeah never really played well here coming off a pretty devastating week maybe you don't want to go down that road who knows but do you have interest in connors because this feels like i mean he's gonna hit all the fairways he's basically a answer who can't putt yeah uh connor's pops in your valero uh model um he is also has a nice little track record at p die courses i think there were some i mean he went full Corey connor's last week but i think there were some improvements he's still not a good putter but i think we saw some strides last year for him being closer at least more consistently to somewhat of a just below field average putter than like this just terrible abomination of a putter a, you know a luke list if you will uh, my apologies but um yeah i mean Corey connor's is just a ball striking god at times and can run hot and if he does and the putter is even somewhat field average yeah we absolutely need some Corey connor's sungjay answer Connors, those three. If I don't play, if I fade the 10Ks in lineups, that might be. Although, let's drop to the eights because you've mentioned that there's going to be like higher owned guys here. I don't see it. I think that almost everyone in the $8,000 area is going to be single digits just based on the way yeah. the based on the way that lineup construction works that if you take Rom or Cantlay you're probably still going to take Answer or Connors or whoever in the nines then you just simply cannot afford anyone in the $8,000 range or if you try to triple up on the 9,000s or go like Finau someone then you're into the sevens anyway so you're going to have Tringali, Reed, Bezadenhout, Rose, Ricky, Siwoo who's the defending champ, Carlos Ortiz, Alex Noren these guys are going to be like three to eight percent Bezadenhout's the only one who might be able to breach double digits i bet on cbez to win i really like him this week i'm gonna play him at 8700 bucks but like i don't normally play cameron tringali and he is overvalued but i i could see myself playing him this week the only guy i really was referring to is cbez uh because again he's close to that and i do think some of the other guys like i said it is kind of you know, a 2017 all-star group. And, you know, there's not a lot of form there. I don't think they're going to be very popular, but Cebes I think will, and will be a spot where, you know, if you're looking to prevent yourself from going down to say the 62, 6,300 range, and you'd rather have a guy up in the upper sixes where you can kind of make that delineation and say, okay, can I go down to Cebes instead of 
uh, Willie Z or, or answer. I think you start to see a lot of ownership because a lot of the guys around him in the 8K range are kind of a mess. That Cebes does get into that, like, you know, mid-teens for sure. But yeah, some the rest of them are are really tough to swallow. Is there anyone outside of Tringali that you even kind of consider? Because some of these guys are just, it's dicey, man. I'll play Siwoo, of course. Okay. It's Pete Dye. play Siwoo. Just, just anytime Pete Dye shows up, play Siwoo. It might not always work, but it could work severely into your favor. I like Carlos Ortiz, despite the fact that we haven't seen him since Mayakoba. He was second there, though, and his irons really heated up during the swing season. Hopefully, it doesn't take him too much to get off the schneid of the layoff, and he can be pretty good here. Maybe he's resolved some of his putting issues that was never an issue that became a real problem. Uh, it seemed like he started to figure that out towards the end of the year, too. And, like, the other one that I was looking at, I was looking at Ricky. 8500 okay. bucks. Like, I, I've never been on this, like, hey, buy low on Ricky, buy low on Ricky. I could see him ha him having it figured out at this point. Uh, and even last year, like, when he was an abject failure and a disaster until, you know, random spike weeks. He's, he's played this tournament pretty well the last two years. 21st last year, 10th the year before that. I don't know, maybe it's just a... a we saw this with Spieth, too. Like, even when Spieth was bad, there would be the courses where he always kind of played well and showed up and continued to play. Not, like, elite winning, but good enough to be a value. I think that Ricky could be that this week. Decent desert golf in his in his past. Um, I'm going to use Jeff's favorite social media follow. I think that there's a oh. little bit of interest here. Uh, Justin Rose, so first start of the year, obviously not great. The Irons were a little bit better towards the tail end of the year. You know, decent showing on the Euro at the BMW, twelfth uh, at the RSM. A few solid outings in the swing season. Uh, you know, if I'm gonna kind of get into this range of the Patrick Reed, Justin Rose, Ricky, I, I think Rose would be the guy that I want to go. But I don't know. I kind of want to find out a little bit more if there's anything going on. Um, you know, between the ears here. Sometimes maybe you know, find him on Instagram, see what he's been uh, up to. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I like seeing the irons because they were kind of a mess. Uh, late when he was bad, you know, early in the season, but they were, they were decent around the swing season. Are we just overlooking Patrick Reed for no reason? I mean, we know the reasons to overlook Patrick Reed. He's won here yeah. before and he's kind of like Si Wu. Like, are you a person who plays Patrick Reed blindly every week or doesn't? That's the thing. Like that's the, he's the, the anti Russell Henley in a way. Every time you run anything statistically, like from a ball striking standpoint, Stroke skiing approach, all these things that we know tend to be stickier than other things. Russell Henley is a guy that always pops. Like a guy like previous iterations of Cam Smith and Patrick Reed, like they never really pop. Like he's not great statistically on approach. I uh, could sometimes spray it off the tee. What he does is wizardry on and around the green. And that tends to be something that is fairly noisy and not something that tends to matter significantly here. So Patrick Reed is a fade to me again Patrick Reed's not going to pop when I run anything for the farmers either and he won that last year so uh, he's just kind of a guy that you sometimes have to play him a little bit when you feel like he's going to be maybe five percent owned because he does have win equity anywhere because he's Patrick Reed but uh, I kind of want to see a little bit again over the last 12 months 54th in strokes gained approach like 95th off the tee it's just not very good and the driver's getting progressively worse like he I think he's yeah. lost in like nine consecutive tournaments off the tee I think that I'm just going to deploy Patrick Reed because he's going to be low owned every week because he's Patrick Reed and nothing like nothing optimal will ever point towards him. Just use Correct. him at hard courses. Like even when you go back and take a gander, it is 2021. Where do he play? Well, places that we would consider long, hard courses, which seems to be the antithesis of what you would want from Patrick Reed. One at Torrey, ninth at uh, the concession. Was it the concession? Is that what it was called? The, the it was fake, a concession. Yeah, like the that one was, year. Yeah, that was a really hard course. He came ninth there. Yeah. He was eighth at the Masters, sixth at, at Quail Hollow, seventeenth at the PGA Championship, fifth at Memorial, top twenty at the U.S. Open. Like those are all hard courses, and that's where he played well. Everywhere else, he kind of sucked. Yeah, and it's been like I said, you know, those references are twelve months. So like we're looking at a fairly large sample size of him being terrible and progressively more so off the tee, like you pointed out. Luke List, eight grand. Dude, is there anyone more relatable than Luke List? Like, he just cannot putt. Like, I, you know, sometimes I'll feel good getting out there, stripe it off the tee, maybe, you know, pop it on the green a little bit. And then, you know, if I can get off and then three, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. But, like, he he's seventh in the field. And this is not – we're not talking about a farmer's field. We're not talking about the players. But this is a decent field. Seventh in this field in strokes gained tee to green over the last 12 months. That's incredible. Uh, he's just that bad putting. Um 
I, I don't, I think you have to, because again, this is similar to like we were talking about a little bit earlier with the Corey Connors. If there's even something somewhat close to field average, he's so good T to green that you have to have a little bit of Luke list because the upside is tremendous. It is. I kind of, if you could just somehow export Luke list around the green game onto Corey Connors. Now we're talking about a major contender because totally because Connors is like bad at putting, but he's not Luke list bad. Like he even like Connors gained strokes putting last week. It wasn't much, but he was he was a yeah. disaster in the first round. Then he kind of got it together a little bit. Like looking back at what Luke List has done, like there's a lot of like minus four and a half, minus seven, minus six on his resume, and like they're not like terrible results either. Like he lost two point three strokes putting at the Barbasol, came in fifth. He gained point one at the John Deere, came in fourth. Eleventh in Houston, lost almost six strokes putting. I remember because I bet him. But his around the green game is really good. Like when you mentioned T to green, that's where a lot of these bad putters they're also really bad around the greens so they can't help themselves whatsoever but lucas doesn't miss a ton of greens in regulation but when he does like it's not the end of the world for him he can get it up and down no problem like when he was on his hot run 2018 that's what he was so good at doing and he was churning out these top tens when the around the green game went away and you can kind of just see it in the numbers uh just a lot of red on his screen for like an extended period of time in 2020 coming out of covid i mean i guess he wasn't practicing just chipping at all like he was a disaster like he almost lost, i think he did lose his tour card had to go win on the corn ferry tour to end up coming back up but now that that's back like the volatility is going to be so high with him you know he's going to make a ton of birdies it's just he's ripped my heart out so many times that it makes me feel bad <laughs> Man, I could feel that right there. Uh, you almost hit, can you build a Corey Connors, Luke List, Johnny Vegas lineup hat and just you could not watch golf. I you mean, because Vegas is in this mix too, right? Like he can bomb it. The irons are really nice for a little run there. Gains uh, gain on approach in nine of ten. The time that he didn't, it was like negative point one again. But the putting is so sporadic, and he can also hang some of these minus four strokes gain putting events where you're like damn it, like you are just crushing the ball tee to green and you just can't make anything to save your life. So yeah, I mean, the volatility at a spot like this, you might just want to embrace it because the upside for these guys, if they happen to all run hot, you one of them, you can catch a winner. Like they could all win this event. Um, so I think Vegas is very much in that discussion. And again, right around a Luke List price. So not for everyone, but again, the, the upside is massive. At least with Vegas, you see like the, the huge dips in the putting, but at least he puts well sometimes when he puts well, it's like yeah. plus four. Like, like, Luke, Connors, like, yeah. like Luke List's best putting week is like 0.2. It's not great. <laughs> it's not great. No, but the rest of it's so damn good, man. Like you just want it for him so bad because you have that level of skill set. And it's like, man, like just, you know, he's out there just grinding, practicing, like just can't see it. I don't know. It's, it's going to happen for him a little bit. Uh, again, we we're dealing with a nice, strong stretch of him being so good that I feel like we want to continue to buy here towards the back end of it if it starts to tail off because he's, we're still in this terrific ball striking run. So yeah, Lucas is definitely part of builds for me this week. All right, I'm going to put a tentative star next to his name on Fantasy National at $8,000 and I'll have to talk myself out of him as the week goes <laughs> along, but that's probably just not going to happen for me. I'll talk myself more that's into him uh, as Wednesday comes around and then I'll wake up on Thursday morning. It's like, oh, West Coast time. Perfect. I have time to add more Luke List and just lose money. That's probably what's going to happen. Seven Ks. I got Woodland, Glover, Chris Kirk. Those three. I like those three. I like those three too. So uh, the, the, I want to talk about the Gary Woodland thing because I feel like I want it to happen. I think we all want it to happen. Right. But like, is there anything statistically that makes you think it's going to happen outside of narratives around his health that he's feeling better because we really haven't seen much, right? There was a T nine at uh, the CJ cup and then three missed cuts on the swing season. Um, so like, I love him. Like, I think he's one of the uh, easiest guys through four on tour Seems like a good dude, but there's just, it hasn't been there. Um, so is there anything that you have that's non-narrative driven that you feel is like, hey, we need to get on Gary Woodland? Because I bet him, but I don't know if I want him in DraftKings. I I even saw, I bet him again at, at 110 to one with an each way now. Uh, yeah. He debuted here last year and was pretty good. He was T16. 
Um, him and Molinari both played this tournament pretty well in their first appearances. Uh, it was the first time he had played it since 2014. He has a good record here. 16th, 38th, miscut second in his career. Now that spans the last decade. Uh, always hits his irons well here. And I think a lot of it is just like you're making a bet on being early on Gary Woodland, that he's yeah. okay. The labrum in his hip is fine now. He's been practicing. I saw some Instagram videos. It's always good enough for me. And mm -hmm. when we think about these guys, like out of all the guys who are severely underpriced based on what their historical value is, be it Fowler, Rose, Day, Woodland, Molinari, there's probably other guys you could throw into those mix, but I think those are the big five that are currently in this field. Like, which one do you feel the best about returning to being a top 25 player? I think for me, it's Woodland because it was all injury based for him, not like getting old based. Yeah. And that's the difference with like, you know, the Rose stuff and the day stuff too. So yeah, I mean, you're right. I, a part of it maybe is I just feel like I bet him and I'm already exposed because I definitely want it to happen. Um, you know, I was encouraged seeing the T9 at the CJ cup and like, finally we're here. You could tell like he was like emotional, even talking about how he felt in comparison to how he had felt over the last few months. So like definitely pulling for the guy, uh, but there's actually some interesting names there too. I'm with you on Chris Kirk. I mean, Chris Kirk likes die tracks, uh, plays well in San Antonio as well. Uh, is pretty cheap, can run hot with the putter at times. Um, no glove, no love this week. I think he's going to start to get pretty popular. You know, you're touting him up again, top five last week. He was incredible on approach, which we almost exclusively on approach is where he gained last week. So uh, mixed bag at P dies, but again, nice track record at Valero. So again, could be something there. Um, Michael Thompson is a guy that is popping for me. Top five last week as well. Again, almost exclusively on approach. T5 tier last year. Tremendous record at dies. If you look at every year for like the last three, four years, he's got at least one, sometimes two top 10, tens at Pete die track. So again, that could be field-based, you know, something that definitely suits his eye, but 7,500 for Michael Thompson. He's definitely interesting to me as well. Yeah. Top fives at this tournament, the past two or two of the past three years as well. I can never really get on Michael Thompson. It seems like he's got a lot of steam behind him this week too. Uh, looking at the early projections, I have him projected higher than Lucas Glover. <laughs> yeah. I think Glover and, and Thompson get some ownership too. So yeah, maybe that becomes the thing when we get closer to, like you said, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, cause we'll have a little bit of time we start to see these guys being into like the high teens and it's like, gosh, I can't, can't eat it here because there is so much volatility. Um, yeah. If I, it won't be owned. I was going to say, uh, if, sorry, if, if, if I, if I'm going to go with the, Hey, uh, I'm going to eat some chalk. It's going to be Romer Cantley. It's not going to be Russell Knox or Michael Thompson. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say is Russell Knox. Like, is he going to be owned like decent I, last week? Yeah. Decent so. showing here in the past. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 and easy I, cross off. I, I think Hadwin gets some love too, just based on how well he's played both desert golf at this course. People just want to believe. And I want to believe in that. I love Adam Hadwin. I wish he was really good again, but he has not been good in some time. He had, he has these like three week mini runs where it looks like he's back. And then he's just a disaster the following week. Yeah. Again, this was like the, he's the Charles Howell, uh, for this place where he just, you know, no matter what, he just finishes nicely. Though what last year was just a, a T32. So maybe even the Adam Hadwin open has is, is come to an end. But yeah, he'll definitely carry ownership at course history. The course history bros will be all over his like top fives for, he just ran train on T5s for like five years. I, I think you can find some low, like, cause those are the, the, the higher owned guys here. I think Glover's the only one I'm really going to bite on with extended ownership. I mentioned Reavy. Stats love Reavy. Pat doesn't love Reavy because Chez Reavy hurts Pat's feelings a lot. And <laughs> I, I go down that road. I'll probably end up playing him because, you know, I, I'm a glutton for punishment when it comes down to him. But the guys from like 75 and down feel like you can get some like good name value that no one wants. Like Doug Gim. I'll play Doug Gim. You probably shouldn't do that. But like Munoz is 7,500 bucks. Merritt is 73. Kazire is 73. Andrew Putnam is 71. Like I have stars next to all those guys. Everyone just wants to play Hayden Buckley. Like, great. Hayden Buckley's good, obviously. I'm like, he's trending well. He's playing a lot better. But I still think I'd rather have those guys at like a third of the ownership. Munoz can be in that earlier discussion where he just runs so hot. He's so streaky. We haven't seen him. This is his first star, but last time out, uh, solo third at the RSM. So like, again, I don't feel comfortable grabbing an event from uh, the middle of November and in, in telling you that he's no, do it. in do form. It. Tell me yeah. he's in form. That's all I need to hear. <laughs> but like, again, to your point, if he's going to be 5% owned and everyone and their brother is going to be playing this dude that's run hot off the corn ferry for a couple of months, you know, give me Munoz, you know, Munoz who can do it. We've seen him do it in like the tour championship events. Like he can get hot and just be, 
you know, one of the best guys on tour for, you know, a three week stretch of time. So uh, let's, let's bank on that RSM solo third, and we're going to roll it into a nice little Amex showing. Andrew Landry. I mean, so he just makes cuts here, but like he went like almost a full calendar year between top twenties. Um, we had a, a November, uh, 2020 RSM. And then he waited till Sanderson's farms here in the swing season. They find another top 20. So yeah, I mean, it would be course history only because he just makes cuts here. But again, like what's the, what's the upside? If there's going to be any ownership here again, because he won, there's not though. Uh, like no, no, no one believes in, in Andrew Landry. Yeah, they shouldn't. But uh, what about Taylor Moore? I think he might be a little, a little bit sexy too. He, he's kind of in that. Uh, I feel like he's in that, uh, that Hayden Buckley run a little bit is he i'm seeing some like i'm seeing him three times as owned as pat and kazire right now which i thought was a bit odd can you sell can you GPPs. sell me can you sell me on taylor more i don't want to uh, i mean decent swing season i guess uh, after he got his card last year you know dominated the corn fairy uh top eight at rsm i don't i don't love it but uh, i've i've heard him mentioned a few different times uh, you know, I have a, a guy that I've talked to that is on him that thinks he's a really nice DraftKings play at his price because he can score. But again, if he's not going to be owned, maybe he's interesting. But if there's going to be any ownership, I thought there was going to be ownership. So if there's going to be none, maybe I'll take a longer look. But if he's going to be not owned, uh, maybe, maybe we go there. Yeah, I, I have him as like one of the higher owned guys of this like range, not quite as high as Buckley. I, I saw that Steele. Okay. I guess Steele burned just far too many people a week ago, and now no one wants to play him. He has a nice track record here too. He was he was god awful last week. Awful last week. Yeah, but uh, yeah, what nine of eleven cuts here historically four top twenty fives in the last seven years. Yeah, this is what we have to deal with, Pat, at this place because we have really no form because we have such you know, limited sample of events here. Some of these dudes haven't even played yet. So like we're really having to rely on course history, history, which isn't anything that I think we spend a ton of time in a typical summer event talking about course history a lot. But like, again, we have to grasp with anything we have and Brandon Steele has a little bit. So anytime you can play a 38 year old guy, who is not very good into ownership. I think you just got to do it. Uh, I like Andrew Putnam a little bit. It seems like his spike putting weeks can come back. He didn't quite have one at Sony, but still managed a T27. He has that Valero crossover. So maybe time to jump back yep. on Andrew Putnam after like a two-year absence. Then there's three guys in a row who, I don't know, you can make a decent case for. Danny Lee, Aaron Ryan, Tom Hoagie. They all kind of do the same thing when they're playing well. Obviously, they're huge miscut risks, but who cares at, at this point when we're trying to gamble on these guys? Hoagie will probably draw the most of the ownership. I like Aaron Rye, though. I, I can't particularly tell you why I like Aaron Rye. He does hit every fairway, which is always really nice. And scoring from the fairway at this course is super easy. Aaron Rye is like the uh, European uh, Luke List. He is uh, really nice sometimes immaculate tee to green and then is uh sometimes just not an option uh with anything that you need from uh from a putting standpoint so yeah it's uh it's a that's a tough one yeah i'll probably just stick with putnam and i will gamble on molinari i am such a slut for molinari it's incredible oh yeah so that's why i'm gonna play molinari let's talk 6k guys though if you want to do that, I mean, if you want to use one guy from down here, four guys from down here, if that's going to be the case with your Rom Cantley builds, I can I can give you some guys. They're probably not good, but I can give you some names. I'm reading them off the sheet. You had told me before the show, like Hot Fire Dylan Fratelli is only sixty eight hundred bucks. But the problem is, this isn't the Masters. This is the American Express. Yeah, or the Open Championship, where <laughs> this guy maybe he just is hard tracks that we talked about with Patrick Reed, where he can, you know, he can compete in those, but in these spots, he's not a guy we want to look at. So like, it's just wild when you look at this guy's got two top fives at majors and 6,800 and we're like, I don't know, like he should be, you would think an autoplay in this field with some of the names that are surrounding him here. But uh, I don't know, are we going to play Dylon? No, I'm not. I didn't, I never get to him anyway. Yeah. It's, it's just not a guy that I, typically play and you you see the top fives of the majors and you're like what the hell is he even doing on the leaderboard like this is the class of you know of golf and you know dylan is contending on sunday at majors it's crazy 
So per my numbers, the best players in the 6K range over the past 24 rounds, Captain Ramius, Chad Ramey, C.T. Pan, the Panamaniac, he's down there, Hudson Swafford, <laughs> who's going to be pretty popular, I think. He's won this tournament before. Duffner keeps popping up. I don't like that whatsoever. I need to shrink my sample size so it kicks Duffner off the mm. list because he's been garbage. Your guy, Ryan Moore, who I refuse to play. Uh, who, uh, who else is down here? That's kind of it for everyone. The guys that I have stars next to, uh, Hagatha Christie, he is $6,200. I like him at California courses and he pops three times a year. Why not make, why not make it this week? I talked about David Lipsky on the research show. Uh, he's shown, he's flashed a little bit of form, at least with the irons. He's $6,300. I just feel like he's a better player than a lot of these guys who are down here as well. Like Mullenix. I also like Trey Mullenix. He's like the even worse Luke list when it comes to putting, but he'll dominate the par fives. Like if you're looking for like one single thing that guys do well, you have eagleable par fives at all three of these courses. Trey Mullenix can get there and he can make enough eagles because off the tee, par fives, eagles gained. He's going to rate off the charts for that. Uh, and and Herban Lahiri, $6,400. Another one who just crushes par fives time after time. And you hope to luck into one of his four good putting weeks of the year. Well, here's the guy that is interesting to me because, yeah, he does make birdies when he is going well, which is interesting. Also with 6,400 is Doc Redman. We were playing like $8,500, 9K Doc Redman at times uh, in the last year and a half or so. And now he's 6,400 at this event and he just hasn't been good of late. But again, we have seen him at least have spurts of him being, you know, pretty solid tee to green. Does he have the putter to run hot? Again, the form has been pretty terrible. There's a reason he's 6,400, but that's a guy that is typically up into the higher range, at least at times. So uh, he pops a little bit down here. I mean, this is, this is a, a rough, a rough thing. Uh, it's like you said, it matters because we're going to need, especially if we're jamming in ROM and we're trying to do even some ROM Cantleys, we're going to need some of these guys down here. Pat Perez is a guy that's won here before. Uh, again, a dude that I'd rather hang out with than roster in DFS. Uh, we have Chesson Hadley, who at times has been okay. Richie Wawinski will pop up at the most random event and be decent. But again, there's nothing here statistically that makes you feel that you can lean on anything actionable to how these guys have played either towards the tail in the last season or anything that we've seen for them in the swing season. Cause most of these guys have not played in Hawaii. Yeah. What has Warinsky been up to? I, I just looked at Austin cook to see how he's been doing. Not well is the answer. Warinsky. <laughs> I mean, the last time he finished inside the top 20 was the Arnold Palmer Invitational in 2021. That's the that's the one that Bryson won. I feel like he was chipping everything in that week. I think he was in like the final group too in that one. Like you just like, what the hell are we doing with Rishi Rowinski? Uh, how about Nate Lashley? Can we go back to the, uh, what happened there with the putter last week? Uh, Tita Green was immaculate, but uh, it was, uh, it's rough. I mean, it brought back thoughts of was it Pebble Beach? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, last was, year, oh man, was that was Beach. tough to watch. That was yeah. that was a big, big ticket too. If he had just at least he held, at least he had enough goodwill to come inside the top five and cashes each way. But I really thought that he was going to win. Did not expect him to get stuck in that bunker on the par three. Yeah, neither did he. He was uh, <laughs> he was not not very happy, and uh, the camera crew caught him at the wrong time. That's for sure. Which, you know, I can't imagine how I would react in that moment too. So no judgment on Nate Lashley. But uh, again, you like to see ball striking like that. We're looking for for anything here. Um, how about Davis Riley? Nice little top 20 last week. Again, if he can hit greens and regulation, he's probably a cut maker. I just don't know if he has the upside. But again, like the last few months have not been great outside of last week, Sony. Well, Davis Riley, I mean, I have such a sort of misconception about like what kind of player he actually is, because in my mind, he's sort of like Denny McCarthy, that if he gets the putter rolling, it's like, oh, eight strokes gain putting like that's the type of guy that he's going to be. And you can I, it hasn't quite manifested itself on the PGA Tour so far, like he's only cracked four strokes gained putting twice, but he's generally in the positives. The approach is pretty good. I mean, the ball striking has been really good from him uh, over his at least past three starts. He was seventh in Bermuda, 29th. It's like one good week on, one... He's like seventh miscut, 29th miscut, 20th, probably miscut this week. But the, the ball striking has been really good. He can't chip to save his life. The issue here is that the greenside bunkers are super tough. But if you can stay out of the greenside bunkers, chipping is super easy. So maybe that swings back to his favor because I have no idea how he is on sand saves. Not good per the numbers would be the answer <laughs> to that. Like, would you rather play Riley or Chad Ramey? Uh, Ramey's another guy that's just kind of like the, he's, I guess he's a cheaper, uh, Buckley this week. We just have a guy that's had, I guess, a nice little run in the corn Ferry to end the year. And 
again, the swing season was kind of meh, but like, again, maybe whoever's lower owned and cheaper. So uh, I probably Davis Riley, just because again, like, I don't know, the distance here might help where he can maybe get himself some shorter irons in his hands and maybe hit those greens and reg to keep him off of, you know, the, the approach or, you know, the, the around the green stuff, which gives him nightmares because he's just, he's red everywhere around the green. But again, approach has been pretty decent. Putting could be okay, but he can bomb it off the tee and it's pretty accurate too. So probably Riley for me. Any interest in this guy that I was tracking because he was on like one of the, the featured groups for whatever reason on Sunday was <laughs> Justin Lower. <laughs> who I think he, yeah, he gained almost five strokes on approach last week and lost everywhere else. Minus four Jeez. off the tee, minus five putting, but now plus five on approach. It's always a, a nice indicator, uh, but he's never gained strokes in his career putting on the PGA. No, once at the uh, 2017 Wells Fargo, 0.4. But oh. like, the guy is a disaster with the putter. I just thought he was really interesting. And now he's like reasonably, not reasonably priced. Dylan Wu actually did have a good week last week. Kind of across the board. Yep. And he's made three consecutive cuts since the swing. Since the U.S. Open, he's made five of six. No real high finishes, but the approach game is always pretty good. Always pretty good. Same thing with Luke Donald, who still hits, oh God. you know, decent approach. Oh, well, I know. I mean, what are we dealing with here? I mean, we're looking in the 6Ks. You know, you're talking about Justin Lower, who's like <laughs> missing cuts on the Corn Ferry all year last year. Uh, this is what kind of what we're dealing with. But like, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to roster Luke Donald. But again, we're kind of grasping at straws down here with, some of these guys, how about Brandon Hagee? Like it's shown upside a little bit at times. I yeah. had a solo second last year, at the Honda uh, first round leader here last year, I believe. Again, I think he, I think that was Nicholas, but uh, again, we've at least seen it at times for him. He's 6,200. He's probably pretty interesting. I can get behind Brandon Hagee because he's $6,200 and we know that he has enough right. upside. If you hit the right week that he can make a lot of those lineups work where the rest of your Rob lineups or can't lay lineups or double up lineups don't look as horrible in the middle. Like the, the meat of that lineup isn't an absolute disaster. Like you can have some like premium Turkey, like you're, you're not going to get up to like nice steak or some like you know, prime rib, anything like that. But like, you're not going to have like deli meat turkey. You're going to have some like nicer, fresh turkey uh, with your <laughs> you know, Lucas Glovers of the world, that type of player, rather than having you know, your high 68 type players. So I, I can see it. I don't know how much I want it. The other guys I was looking at, like Paul Barjon ended up with a really nice ball striking week. I uh, could not chip to save his life. Dewey Vanderwall, I think I just like his name. There's no real reason to play him. Uh, and 4chan, Chan Kim. You know, eventually he's going to make a putt on the PGA Tour. I'm feeling it for him at some point. Oh, this, this used to be back in the day, I think, back when it was uh, the Bob Hope and it was a, a five-round uh, event. This was like the Bill Haas Open forever, right? Oh, yeah. I, I don't want to step on I don't want to step on toes because I know that that's uh, he's a popular play for one of your guests often. But uh, you know, Bill Haas. If we want to dial up a 40-year-old Bill Haas this week, I think. Uh, well, I don't, but again, uh, I was worth looking at uh, course history and be like, damn, Bill Haas used to like just roll out of bed in T5 here. Yeah, man, listen, uh, you know, Mark Wilson's won this event too. Maybe we could play him and down at 6,000. Now, I, I think we've exhausted the list of names. I got some culling to do uh, on this matter when it comes down to picking, sure. picking the guys that I actually want to go with. But let's fill out a play the best plays lineup on DraftKings this week to see what that can go with. Do you think, where do you think the people start their lineups? Just click auto click ROM? Auto click ROM. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, we can get into, like we did, I think the Cantley thing is, is very interesting, but I think ROM definitely soaks it up. Um, so maybe you see not significantly lower owned Cantley because I think people can start there too. But again, there's just such little difference between ROM and Cantley that I think you spend the 400 just to lock in ROM. So I got the first four in this lineup, ROM, Answer, Glover, Swafford. I think those are the top four, like the, just the auto clicks. And now you still have 7,600 left. All right, 76. Um, what do you think? We're going to have Michael Thompson in there too, right? You said? Uh, yeah, I think that we can do that. So we go with Michael Thompson. Who's the other guy popularity-wise? Let's see here from in the lower sevens. Because if we can do that, then we can get up to like Hadwin or List or one of those guys who's also going to be pretty popular, I think. Or even Chris Kirk for that matter. Yeah, uh, Spence, yeah lower sevens. People are digging Svensson and Hayden Buckley. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Those probably are the two. Svensson, you know, T7 last week, putted well, great on approach. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he probably carries some ownership. Again, $200 savings on Buckley, which I think kind of can matter in a spot like this where you're looking to maybe move up into a, a higher range of the upper seven. So I think we can go with Svensson. Now, let's see. 
if we go Thompson, Michael Thompson, hello, Mr. Thompson, then we can go, nah, that doesn't get us up to Knox or Kirk, who I think could both be there. So if we go Buckley, Hayden Buckley at 72, that gives us 8,000, meaning we can take Luke List if we want to, or we can go to like Had- oh, we- Hadwin or Kirk. We want to. We want Luke List. All right, so Rom, Answer, Glover, Swafford, Buckley, Luke List. Zero dollars remaining in that lineup, too, so you know it's good. You know it's good. You feel good about it. You log out, and you just wait till Sunday night. You wait for the money to come in. You get the email, and you're good to go. All right, there it is. That's the play, the best plays lineup. Last guy that we never brought up the entire time. And I just make this because it's California, Cameron Champ. Well, yeah, I mean, you haven't seen him for a while. Didn't play in the TOC because of COVID. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I got, I bought into Cam Champ a little bit to start of last year because I thought the irons were really good, or at least encouraging. We saw at the Masters, the weird November Masters and some stuff. So, I mean, yeah, you can make a case for him in California. We should probably, if we're going to be attacking him and we want to buy low on Cam Champ, this would be the spot to start doing it here over the next couple of weeks. Probably want to see it a little bit first. But uh, again, I'd rather get him maybe on a spot where I think that that distance is going to matter a little bit more. We just don't know that it matters here because you look at kind of the, who wins here. Sometimes it matters absolutely zero when you look at the top of the leaderboard. Uh, but again, he's probably not going to be owned because of we haven't seen him yet. And, you know, some of those guys, I think, probably are crossed off the list to start most uh, most lineup builds this week. I think that he is a very interesting pivot play this week because, like you mentioned, no yeah. one is going to play him. He's in a range around guys that are going to be very highly owned. And you have someone who's, he's almost like Siwoo in a lot of ways. He's the Ricky Bobby. He's like first or last. That you can get paid so much if you're right on champ. And you don't, even if you play six lineups and you play him in two or one, like you're so much over the field that I think that I'm going to end up throwing him in my player pool. Yeah, he didn't even really play in the swing season either. So yeah, I mean, no one, we have nothing to go off of. Again, that doesn't really matter here. And that's kind of a spot where, to your point, he is kind of right around a bunch of dudes like we're talking about, like even a little bit ahead of him with List and Harmon and Hadwin with all the ownership and history here. And then, the, you know, Kirk Knox Woodland here just below him. So, yeah, I mean, he will probably be five, sub five. So, yeah, I mean, if he hits, you are obviously in a good spot and you can eat some of that ROM chalk and feel pretty good about it. Let's see. Right now, the projected ownership on Cameron Champ is 0.3%. No, sorry, 1.7%. Same as Brendan Todd. Uh, Yeah, so you play Champ over Todd every day. Like, what what is Brendan Todd, a 5-6 condom play? Like, there's just no upside on Brandon Todd whatsoever. That's not fun. It's not fun to watch. Like, Champ, you feel good about. That's an exciting guy, young kid. So, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's kind of a no-brainer. Right, that will do it on the Pat Mayo Experience. Remember to play in the Listener's League. Link is available in the description. Smash like and give me your two favorite guys in the $6,000 region. Ryan, thank you for coming on. I, I think you've earned, right or wrong this week, you've earned another appearance on the Pat Mayo Experience. But tell everyone where they can find you on a week-to-week basis. I appreciate it, Pat. We're dealing with my technology issues at times, too. So uh, excited. We have a uh, new venture coming out, betspurtsgolf.com. Uh, you should be able to head over there uh, today and be able to sign up for a newsletter, get some information on when we go live there. We're going to have some content. We're going to have some tools, lots of cool stuff. We still have golf going on over at 444. We just launched our 2022 uh, year subscription for the betting sub. Uh, it's going to get you basically everything from now until the end of next February. So it's going to basically get you 13 months football, NBA, golf, all sorts of stuff. So uh, also check out at Betsperts Golf on Twitter. Right. You can follow me at the PME on Twitter. Subscribe to the newsletter. That's where I'll be releasing my finalized bets, DraftKings ownership projections. Well, guesses from me. They're not really projections for the week of who's going to be the most popular, plus some additional notes. And if you're looking for the cheat sheet, it will be up on DKNation.com. Thank you all for watching. Smash the like on the way out. I'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.